Hello, this is Pastor Jimmy Harper. Thanks for listening to this Lee University broadcast. We're excited that you are joining us today for one of our many campus events. We hope that you are encouraged as you listen. This morning as we began worship, we had a call to worship which came to us from the Paschal greeting. The Paschal greeting goes something like, Christ is risen, and the people respond, Christ is risen indeed. Let's try it. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Indeed, what you say is an ancient, very, very old greeting. The Roman Catholics use it, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, all the Protestants that I know of have it somewhere in their history of that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. It's not that Christ was risen or will be risen. It is active present tense. Christ is risen. Last Sunday we had Easter, and for some people they'll think that Easter is just this one day a year, but oh, they're so wrong. Easter is actually 50 days. We have just entered into the season of Easter. The 50 days represents Leviticus 24 in which it talks about the year of Jubilee, those 50 years in which the year of our Lord is proclaimed when blind people can see and the captives are set free, which Luke 4 tells us. Indeed, that's why we have these 50 days. And on the 50th day of Easter, we have Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes down and begins to fill our hands, our feet, our voice, and we actually become the resurrected Lord here on earth, in which the white vestments then turn to red, that crimson red that Isaiah 63 talks about. And then after Pentecost, we move into summer. How many of you are ready for that? I love spring, but there's something about summer, those warm mornings and evenings. But something I love about summer even more is the food. Oh, how I miss the watermelon and the fresh blueberries. But more than that, it would be the tomatoes. There is just something about those tomatoes that are vine-ripened, you know, the ones that are still warm in the sun, that have the dirt clogged on them, versus those that have been in the stores for days and who knows how long they've been there. There's something great about tomatoes, those summer tomatoes. Well, when I was doing my senior project many years ago, I was very interested in agriculture. And living in southern Colorado, we had many different factories that grew tomatoes commercially. So I went down to one of those to research tomatoes, and what I found was on this big wall, as you walked into these tomato factories, was quality assurance. One of the first things that you would find in there in quality assurance was color. Right? You wanted that color, that deep red for those tomatoes. You didn't want them to be miscolored in any ways. The second thing that you wanted for quality assurance was shape. You don't want your tomatoes to be lumpy or bumpy. You want them to be smooth and round. The third thing about quality assurance was transportability. GMOs, genetically modified foods, were just coming into fashion when, when I was in high school doing my senior project. And chemical engineers were making it such that tomatoes wouldn't be bruised so bad. They could make their skins real thick because they'd be put in carts and be transported for hundreds of thousands of miles from their source. So they needed to have good, thick skins. Let me tell you something. Taste on the list was number seven. Okay, well, it makes sense. We don't go into the grocery store and purchase our tomatoes based on the way they taste. Everyone would be licking the tomatoes, right? No, we, we purchase the tomatoes by the way they look. 
But there's some people who really don't care about taste or transportability or color or shape. What they are looking for is what I call squishiness. Yes, the squishiness factor of a tomato. A few months ago, I was in Bilo. I was in the produce section, and there was a woman who was manhandling all the tomatoes. She was squishing on them. And I just, out of pure curiosity, I said, well, what, what are you doing? And she, she didn't even look up from her job of squishing the tomatoes. She said, I'm trying to find the squishiest tomato because my boyfriend has cheated on me. Watch out for a scorned woman with a tomato in her hand, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just kind of chuckled, and I said, well, that's not very, very kind. And she, said, she looked up at me, and she said, lady, it's not about kindness. This is about justice. Well, it's interesting she should say this because as I have been studying the resurrection over these last few weeks, what I have noticed is that resurrection is intricately connected to kindness. Do a word study on it. Kindness is actually a God attribute. It's a characteristic of God. And everywhere you find kindness, it's always, always associated with justice. But the justice of God doesn't look like the justice of the world. The justice of God is always translated into mercy. God's kindness by justice is shown through mercy. To understand this a little bit more, let us go to this little epistle, the epistle of Titus, as we read a word from our Lord. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This concludes the reading from the New Testament. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Something about tomatoes. They stain. I always tell brides who are in premarital counseling with me, don't have spaghetti at your wedding service, at your reception, because it will get on your white dress. Inevitably, tomato stain. And someone, somewhere, a very long time ago, went to a theater production, paid their money for their ticket, and went and saw a production that they just didn't think was worth their money. But the manager of the theater wouldn't give their money back, and so they thought they'd take justice in their own hands. I mean, how many of you go to the theater, and just to make sure I got produce in my pocket, just in case they don't act the way that I want them to act? And I imagine they didn't use celery, because that would really hurt, right? And of course, asparagus wouldn't hurt at all, but the squishiness of a tomato would bring about vengeance and justice, right? Right, PETA, P-E-T-A, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. You may have heard about them on their website. They will describe what type of tomatoes exactly that you need 
to peg those women wearing fur coats. How many of you have seen that, right? In New York last year, wearing the fur coats, they got it. The vigilante vegetables were flying, hitting these folks, trying to get justice for those animals that had been slaughtered. Of course, we laugh and things like this, but to get pegged with a tomato becomes a sheer insult. So some people are using cream pies recently and lately. But one place of true justice that is celebrated all around the world that has to do with tomatoes is in a village called Buenos, Spain. If you have an opportunity to go down to Spain at the end of the summer, the last Wednesday of August, there are these large trucks that begin rolling into town full of crates of tomatoes, the squishy kind, right? They sit out in the sun for a few days, and then soon people arrive in their old raggy clothes, and the store owners begin to protect their windows and their storefronts. And right as the clock struck 12, the food fight begins. And they smash each other's faces, and if your pet's in the way, they're going to get it too. And the storefronts get all bloody red, and the crimson color goes through the streets of Benyostein. What are they celebrating there? They are celebrating the patron saint, Louise Bitron, the patron saint of the merciless and the defenseless. Well, let's face it. How many of you have just wished to have a tomato in your purse or pocket. I think we have all had the hankering at one point in our life to take that vegetable and give it to someone right in the face, right? Yes, some of you are smiling, nodding your head, looking at the person across from you. Yes, you just would love, I just wish I had a vegetable in my pocket right now because I'd show you. Well, Paul tells us that each and every one of us deserve a tomato in the face. Listen to what he says. He says, at one point, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. He says, we all deserve a tomato up the nose. But then Paul takes in a deep breath in verse 4, and he says, but... When the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the things we had done, but because of his great mercy. Our God took the tomato on our behalf. I think the one place in the world that is most merciless is the world of sports, right? You have athletes who get up early in the morning. They train for months and years. They go through all sorts of finalists. They try to get to the place where they can finally compete and get that which they earned and which they deserve. To the hundreds of the second now, people are competing. And if you didn't get your medal, well, you just didn't deserve it because you didn't earn it. It's a merciless place of the world of sports. Well, in the year 2007, in the Special Olympics at Shanghai, all these folks, international from all over the world, were gathered in the arena to watch the track and field sports. And there was people from Canada and America and France and Russia and Germany. And there's all these folks there. And there's 15 boys lined up to compete for the medal in the 440 race from all over the world. They had been training for a very long time. These boys were lined up, and the 
crowd became hushed and the gun fired and these boys just start running as fast as they can go around the track and people are cheering, go, 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 run, run, run. And right as they're getting right to the, the curve, the bend in the track, one boy trips and falls flat on his face. Watching it on television, you can almost see that all 14 other boys saw it out of the corner of their eye, and they all turned and looked back to see what had happened. And slowly, all 14 boys slowed down and turned around. Of course, the crowd was like, what are you doing? Don't go that way, go that way. But all 14 boys turned around. One guy got the arm of the fallen man, and then another one got another arm. One boy got a leg, someone got another leg. They were all, all 14 boys picked up this young runner and all of them ran awkwardly down the track, crossing the finish line. A journalist, after the race, pulled one of the boys aside and said, you know, why, why did you give it up? Why did you forfeit your medal to go back? And the boy kind of cocked his head and he said, well, because he had fallen. This is counterintuitive. The world doesn't understand this. This is foolishness in the eyes of the world. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous man. Okay, maybe someone would die for a good man. But God demonstrates his love by this. He turns around and he goes back and picks up the fallen. God demonstrates his love by this. Even when we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ rose for us, Christ reigns for us, and Christ stands at the right hand of the Father, and he will, he, he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And in his great kindness, his fantastic judge, justice, his loving mercy, he will finally take the curse of death and remove it. He will defeat the last enemy. He will look upon our bodies, and he will raise us up from the dead. The Old Testament and New Testament writers, they longed for life everlasting just as much as we do, but they also understood that resurrection has just as much to do with justice as it does with immortality. Friends, to raise a dead man is to throw a tomato at the face of death, but to raise a convicted, crucified man is to strike a blow at the system who executed him. When the women arrived to that tomb that early Easter morn, they were going to plan a funeral, not a revolution. But when they saw that justice had been done, they ran home, not to grieve, but to get organized. For we do not worship a dead hero. We worship a living God. And we, if we truly believe this, we can say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For it is through Christ Jesus who gives us victory. We do not worship on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's Saturday. We worship on the Lord's Day, the day that Christ defeated death 
once and for all. And we can say Easter is not just one day. Easter is not even just 50 days. Easter is. And if we truly believe in this, we can stand proudly and boldly and we can proclaim. Are you ready? Christ is risen. May you proclaim that with conviction. May you proclaim that with unfaltering faith. And may you proclaim that with the loving kindness of God. May Jesus be praised. Amen? Amen. Let us respond through an offertory of music.